Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, we're going to be dealing with this passage tonight, though, in the full context of what has been happening. Because I think there's a depth here that, I'll be honest with you, I, even myself, over my 30 years of teaching the Word of God, I've never seen until recently, as God was having me pray over this passage and look at what He wanted us to pull out from here. There's a depth here. Now, we, for those of you that were part of our Ephesians study, we dealt with the fact that Paul wrote a lot of this stuff already to the church in Ephesus and to be passed on to all the churches. And we'll reference a few of those passages tonight. So we're not going to be breaking it down per se as talking just to wives and to husbands and so on tonight, although we will a little. What I want to do tonight is I want to take a look at this passage in the full context of what has gone on. Now, it's been three weeks since we've been together, so probably we need a little refresher of where we ended up. So I'm just going to give you a real quick, fast reminder. All right. Last time we were together, we focused on thankfulness because of God's grace and mercy to us in extending His offer of salvation to the Gentiles. Remember, the last time we were together, we kept seeing thankfulness, thankfulness in your hearts, and appreciation and a gratefulness for the fact that God had a plan to reveal Himself to the world, and He chose to do it through a group of people that He created of His own through one man, Abraham, called the nation of Israel of the Jews. In God's mercy and in God's grace, He has chosen to offer this salvation to us Gentiles as well because of the rejection of the nation of Israel as we looked at it. Israel experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And when we were together last time, we looked at the fact that our attitude as worshipers of God, as children of the Lord through Jesus Christ, should be one of continual gratefulness because of the fact that God allowed us to be a part of what He was doing in His plan for the whole world. I'm not going to take the time to get into this too deeply but folks, if we're going to be faithful to the Scriptures, and we're, or not, we're going to let the Scriptures speak for themselves and speak the truth, we know this much first and foremost. The Bible's very clear that everyone is drawn by God. There are those who teach that some are drawn and some aren't, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's very clear that everybody hears. But if we're to be faithful, we have to also acknowledge that not everybody hears on the same, same level or the same amount. Remember how Jesus said it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum because Capernaum received more light. How many of you had an audible voice and a blinding light knock you off your horse on the way to Damascus like Paul? There are those who hear through creation. There are those who hear through not only creation but also through his writing his law in our hearts. There are those who get the word of God preached to them in abundance like we do in America. There are those in parts of the globe who don't hear as much as we and the passages in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, to whom much is given, much will be required, in the context, it's talking about the amount of light we have received from God. Everyone receives light, but not everyone receives the same amount of light. And we have to be people who say, God gets to do it however He wants to. And the fact that we are able to be a part of this wonderful salvation the fact that He has drawn us, and many of us who are living where we live have been drawn more than others, have been given more light. We have to be faithful to say, God, why did you do it this way? Why did you give me more light than others? I, all I can say is thank you. All I can say is thank you. You have a reason, you have a plan. What does God say? I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. We cannot take it to the extreme that says God's chosen some for heaven and some for hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. Everyone does here. Everyone will be held accountable. But not everyone gets the same amount of light. And with that in mind, those of us who have received much light need to live a life of gratefulness that says, thank you for pursuing me. Are you with me so far? 
Because this is the context of where we're going. This passage that we're going to get into tonight, I pray will open up to you in a way that you've never looked at it if you understand the full context. Uh, Paul said, and we don't have time to turn there in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. He says, can the clay say to the potter, the lump of clay, say to the one who formed it, why did you do this? God has every right to do things however he chooses. Write this down and look at it later on. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. You know the story. There's a conversation going on in heaven between God and Satan. The angels all appear before God and Satan comes with them. Why? Because he's a created being, an angel just like the others. And he has to check in when they all have to check in. And the conversation between God and Satan was, look at Job. God says, look at Job. And Satan says, the only reason he worships you, the only way he's, reason he's like that is you, you've got this hedge of protection around him. You take that hedge of protection away and he'll curse you to your face. And what does God say? He says to Satan, I'll tell you what, I'm going to remove that hedge of protection. Here's the limits. You can't touch him, but you can do anything else you want. And if you know the story, immediately Satan goes and kills all of his children, takes all of his possessions, and just leaves him alone with his wife. And at the end of that section there of chapter 1, Job's response was, Naked I came into this world, naked I'll return. Listen to what it says at the end. And God did not, I'm sorry, Job did not sin with his lips by charging God with wrongdoing. Job's attitude was he gets to do it however he chooses. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Remember, last time we were together, we looked at how Satan was given a role in God's design. And he was not satisfied with his quote-unquote lot in life. Even though Satan, we looked at those passages in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 where Satan was created in beauty and he was in the Garden of Eden and the, the presence of God. And even though he was given such a high-ranking position as one of the archangels, he wasn't satisfied with the, the role that God had chosen for him. And he wanted more. He wanted to be God. Ungratefulness for our lot in life is the exact same attitude that Satan had, folks. And as you've heard me teach on before in this place months and months ago, I believe the Bible points to the fact that Satan's fall, his rebellion in heaven, happened before the creation of the world. And that this world that we live in, what, what is seen, remember God created what is visible and invisible. The invisible realm, the angels had already existed because Job chapter 38 says when God comes to Job and says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the morning stars sang for joy? The angels already existed when God created what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Yes, people say, Jim, Satan couldn't have fallen yet because it says in Genesis chapter 1 that God saw all that he had made and it was good. And if it was good, Satan hadn't fallen yet. No, no, no. Genesis 1 and 2 is talking about what is visible. The invisible had already been created. I believe the Bible points to the fact that what we see, this world we live in, this universe that God created, has been chosen by God to be created to reveal His glory to the angels. It says so in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that it's His intent now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the spiritual authority, authorities in the heavenly places. Doesn't the book of Peter say that the angels long to look into this relationship that we've been given? And so we have to understand that God has designed, not only in the invisible realm, ranks and authority and roles. The angels, there are different levels of angels and authority and power. And not only that, in this world, He has created different levels of rule and authority and positions. The Bible even shows us in the parable of talents, He gave one five, another two, and another only one, each according to their ability. All the way through, God is putting us in a position of either, as you're going to see in a second, leadership. And are we going to respond in those of us who have been given leadership in the way that says that God is really in ultimate control, not me? And some of us have been given roles of fellowship. And are we willing to submit to the role that God has chosen for us, for His glory? Or are we going to be like Satan and say, I'm not happy with the lot that God's chosen for my life? By the way, how many of you had any say when you were going to be born? How many of you had any say as to who your parents were going to be? How many of you had any even say as to what time in the history of man you were born, or even where? You know the Bible says God controls all of that. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, From one man he made every nation of men, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places that they would live. 
And so as we get into this passage, I want, and in just a second, I want you to see that all through the Scriptures we see God's Word teaching us to understand that the role God has chosen for us is for His purpose and His glory, and we worship Him. That's, by the way, that's what it says in Job chapter 1. When Job lost all of his family and all his possessions, he worshipped God. He praised God. And we worship Him when we trust His plan for our lives. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to the Jews, but it does apply to us. We know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. What? Plans for prosperity and hope and a future. God has a good plan for all of us. We have to trust that, even on those times when it doesn't look like that. Well, go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, look at verses 22 through 30. John chapter 3, verses 22 and following. <clears throat> it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. By the way, I'm going to stop and chase a rabbit. <laughs> Again, I'm going to remind you, I teach preachers all the time, and I tell them if you chase a rabbit while you're preaching or teaching, it's okay as long as two things are happening. One, you can catch the rabbit, because some of these rabbits you can't catch. And if you catch it, it tastes good. I need to chase a rabbit for a second with what we just read to teach you the importance of letting the whole of Scripture be how we develop our theology. Because here it says that Jesus was baptizing, doesn't it? Listen to it again. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. If you were to read that verse, it reads like Jesus is baptizing, doesn't it? Jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Did you catch that? Do you see the importance of letting the whole of Scripture build your theology? There are too many people that are fighting over things by saying, well, the Bible says, and my verse here says. Well, you know what? That might be what it looks like, but if you take it against the whole of Scripture, that can't be a correct interpretation because these other passages show this, 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 and this. Was Jesus baptizing? Yes. Was he doing the actual baptizing? John 4 clearly shows us that that wasn't him. All right? That was the rabbit. Let's come back. All right? So Jesus was baptizing, but not actually Jesus, but his disciples. Look at verse 23. John also was baptizing at Anon. This is John the Baptist near Salem. Because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Look at John's answer to this. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the, is, has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Did you catch what John the Baptist is saying here? He said, my role was for a time and for a season. Now that he's here, my role was to prepare the way. And now that he's here, I must decrease. He must increase. And what happens next to John the Baptist? He ends up being put in prison and because of a girl dancing and a man making a rash vow, his head was cut off. But his attitude was not that of Satan. His attitude was of Christ. You do remember in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, that the scripture says that even though Jesus was God, he did not take hold of all the advantages of being God, but he took the role of a servant. And he humbled himself to the Father's plan for his life, even to the point of dying on a cross. Could he have exerted his rights? Could he have climbed the ladder of authority? Didn't Satan come and tempt him to try to make himself more? But he knew what the Father's plan was, and he submitted himself to the Father. Folks, as you're going to see tonight as we get into this passage, and I promise we will get into Colossians 3, when we deal with wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, don't be harsh with your servants. What I want you to see is, is that the depth of what's really going on here is that God is showing us that every single one of us 
have been chosen a role by God, are you willing to submit to God's plan for your life, for His glory, or are you going to take the attitude of the world that says, be all you can be? John the Baptist said, a man can only receive what he's been given from God. My role is done. My role is done. I'm going to chase a quick rabbit as well. In our churches today, one of the things I deal with, and it's hard because some people aren't willing to accept it, is that not everybody that's called to preach is supposed to be a senior pastor. But what happens is, is when people get called to ministry, young men, whatever, they'll come and they'll say, oh, you got spiky hair, you'll be a youth pastor. <laughs> you, you sing, you'll be a music minister. Or you'll be an associate for a time, but they all assume that one day you're going to be senior pastor. You know, a lot of our churches are struggling right now because they have men that have been forced into the senior pastor position when God never intended them to be senior pastor. Their calling was associate pastor for their whole life. But the attitude of the church is, when are you going to move up the ladder? The men who are successful and blessed in ministry are the ones who understand the role that God's given them, and that's all. And some's role is to prepare churches for who's to come next, and that's great. But this mentality that's crept into the church of the Americanism of the Christian, Christian life of be more, be all that you can be, it's not what the Bible teaches. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 17. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Isn't that interesting? Some of you probably have never seen that verse. Let me read it again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He then goes on into clarifying that more and more. But for the sake of time, we're going to move on. Go to Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 3 through 8. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're parts one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If it's service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. From this passage, does God expect us all to have the same gifts? Does He expect us all to have the same responsibilities? For years as a pastor, I used to say, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You ever heard a preacher say that? You know what? If we're faithful to the Bible, that's actually closer to God's design. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. How many of you can name the 12 apostles? <coughs> Excuse me. By the way, I, my hand's not up. If I were to ask you to name the 12 apostles, you would go Peter, James, John, Donner, Dixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How come everybody in here would be able to say Peter, James, and John? Why? Because they had a greater responsibility in the days and weeks and years to come in the life of God's plan. And we even see that in Jesus' teaching of his 12, he had more than the 12 always with him. But even in his teaching of the 12, when he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, who were the only disciples allowed to see that transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Oh, and they were told, you can't tell anybody what you saw until after I've risen from the dead. When he healed Jairus' daughter and raised her from the dead, he kicked everybody else out of the house except mom and dad and Peter, James, and John. You even see it in the garden. When he goes off to the garden to pray right before the cross, he leaves the disciples in a place, goes off further in the garden with who? Peter, James, and John. Folks, there are those who are going to be doing more than others. The attitude of the church, which hasn't been faithful to Scripture, has been everybody needs to pull an equal weight. If you have children, you need to serve your time in the nursery. All this stuff we say, <coughs> excuse me for the tickle here in my throat, all this stuff we say matches up with our 
definition of what we think is right and fair and how things ought to function, I want you to hear tonight that it's okay if your role is less than somebody else's and don't let anybody try to push you into more than God has assigned for you. Oh, if God's given you more, make sure that you're doing it under his leadership and not in your own strength. And that is where we're going tonight with this passage. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. As we look at this section, you should notice that Paul is speaking to two different groups of people. Those who have been given following roles in this life and those who have been given leading roles in this life. Both groups must submit to God and His plan for them and how He desires them to live out their roles. For example, I've broken it down into two groups. The following groups are the wives, children, and slaves. The leading group is husbands, fathers, and masters. And you're going to see God speak to both groups here. And He's going to speak to both groups about the importance of them understanding this is the role God has given me, this is the role God has chosen for me, and I need to do this role, live out this role, with my eyes on God and obedience to Him. So let's start breaking it down. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In this whole context in mind, understanding our gratefulness for the fact that God lets us be a part of this wonderful plan that He's doing, He's chosen the men and women. We're not even going to get into all the political mess that's going on in our country right now because America is trying to say there's no such thing anymore. But there is a big difference between man and woman, and God has designed it that way. They're equal in value in the eyes of God because the Bible says that male and female, Adam and Eve, both were created in the image of God. When you see a woman, you see a picture of a part of who God is because she was created in His image. When you see man, you see a picture of who God is because He was created in the image of God. I could show you passages where God says, I wish I could have uh, suckled you at my breast. Why would God the Father say that? Because woman was created from the image of God. What did Jesus say? Jerusalem, how I wish I could have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. The nurturing side of females it comes from God. It's a part of who He is. And when we try to blur the lines between men and women and the roles that God has designed, we lose sight of the picture of who God really is. Oh, and by the way, who's trying to blur the sight to the world of who God really is? Sure is, isn't He? Oh, we also got a problem. Way, way back in the garden, when uh, God talked to the man and said, here are the instructions about the trees. We see that Eve ate from the tree. Oh, don't get mad at Eve. If you look at your Bibles, the Bible says that Adam was standing right next to her when she did. She ate first. She took the lead. He submitted to her. She handed to him and he ate. And they swapped roles that God had designed. And God says to them, and I'll just paraphrase it, Y'all are going to have the battle of the sexes from now on. He says, Eve, your desire, a woman's desire is going to be for her husband, and he's going to want to rule. In other words, that word desire is not like, oh, I love you. I heard that from Becky in Hawaii all the time. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny. But, uh, but if you go look at Genesis chapter 4, where Cain is wanting to kill his brother Abel, the Bible says that God came to him and said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have mastery over you. That word desire is the exact same word in Genesis 3. In other words, sin wants to control you. Wives, in your flesh is the desire to control your husband. We might use the word nag. And you know what? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're probably right most of the time. Most guys will admit that, but we have a hard time positively reinforcing the nagging behavior. And so well, now that you say it, we want to do it less. But there's a struggle that goes on in women. But God says, look, even though I've made you where you do know more than that rascally dumb guy that is your husband. Yeah, he's bigger and stronger. And you're grateful for that at times when the jar's stuck. But even though I have created you as the weaker vessel, 
I've given you a tough role. Because there are times you know what to do. But I'm asking you to not be like Satan and not be satisfied with your role. And I'm asking you to give me glory and trust that what my plan is is best. And I'm asking you to submit to him as is fitting in the Lord. Tony Evans illustrates it wonderfully when he talked about this in a message a while back. I heard him say, he said, you've got um, an 18-wheeler merging onto the highway and you've got a Volkswagen bug that's already on the highway in that right lane. That uh, Chevy Spark, yeah. <laughs> we got one in Hawaii, by the way. You, uh, that 18-wheeler could, could crush the Volkswagen Beetle. But the law of the land says that the 18-wheeler is supposed to yield to the Volkswagen. Wives, you're the 18-wheeler. You might think, I could crush him. I could win this argument. But the law of the land, the law of your Lord God is that you are to submit and yield and give him right away. But what if he makes the wrong choice? What if we end up broke? What if we lose our house? What if he... Do you trust God? Or does God need your help to take care of you guys because of the wrong choices your husband may make? See, we don't realize it, but when we act in the flesh, we're really showing our true value or view of who God really is. I'll be honest with you. I'm married to a wonderful wife who has lived this out in many, many ways in our life. And I don't always make the right choice. But God's working in my life as well. And we'll get to men in just a second. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, just a couple of books to the left. Look at verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wow. Now, we're going to get to this a little bit further here when we look at men's role, and I'll clarify it in more detail. But you see a little bit more here now in Ephesians. This is even bigger than what we just touched on. Now we're also seeing that God is intending to paint a picture through husbands and wives' roles of Christ in the church. Becky and I had the privilege of doing a marriage conference in, in December up in New Hampshire. And we looked at the fact that Moses had been told by God to strike the rock in the wilderness and the water flowed. And later on when they were thirsty again, God says to him, this time I don't want you to strike it, I want you to speak to the rock. You see, God was painting a picture that a lot of us maybe have never seen before. But the reason why God tells us to do the things he does is for lots of reasons. He's teaching at all times. And he's also was trying to paint a picture of the gospel through Moses. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that they all drank from the same spiritual rock in the wilderness, which is Christ. The rock represented Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. And the scripture then goes on and says, By this he meant the Holy Spirit, which those who later receive him were going to receive. Listen, the water represented the Holy Spirit and salvation. In order for salvation to come, in order for the Holy Spirit to be flowing, in order for the Holy Spirit to be given, the rock had to be struck. He was struck, wasn't he? He was bruised for our iniquities. But the Bible says that he was sacrificed once for all. Does he need to be struck anymore? How do you get the Holy Spirit now? You ask. You speak to the rock and say, would you give me this water? He tells Moses, this time I don't want you to strike it. It's already been, it's been struck. I want you to speak to the rock and ask it to give its water. What did Moses do, though? He repeated how it was done last time, like a good Baptist. That's how we did it last year. And he suffered the consequences of his disobedience. And Becky and I had the privilege of going to these couples at this marriage conference and saying to them, we could spend our time looking at how Moses blew the picture. Oh, the neat thing about God is he gives lots of second chances. Moses didn't lose his salvation. He actually was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was transfigured, he was in on what was going on in Jerusalem. I think personally God's got a plan for Moses during the tribulation period. 
But God's trying to paint a picture, husbands and wives, through us now to the world. How are we doing? See, the wives are supposed to represent the church and its submission to the Lord. Husbands are supposed to represent Christ and his type of leadership. Oh, you know, back in Genesis, God says, man, not only will the wife's desire be to control you, you're now thinking you're going to have to be caveman to get control back. And for too many years, husbands have taken this passage and have said, woman, the Bible says that you are to submit to me, so I order you to submit. That's not what the Bible says. Let me give you a little Greek lesson real quick. The Greek word submit is hypotasso. And in the Greek, it means a voluntary submission due to an understanding of God's design. In other words, the moment I tell my wife, you must submit, it's not hypotasso. It is only hypotasso if she chooses to submit on her own. It cannot ever be forced. So husbands, don't be the caveman jerk to get control. You're going to find out in just a second that God's got a plan for the role he's given you. Wives, he's given you a following role. Are you going to have the attitude of Satan that says, I know how better to do it? Or are you going to submit to yourselves to God, and this is fitting, and understand that God's trying to paint a picture, and even if my husband doesn't look like Jesus, I'm going to look like the church, as the church ought to be. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3. <coughs> Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We just kind of touched on that a little bit. We are the stronger vessel. We could easily win the argument, either physically or verbally, emotionally. But back in Ephesians, if we flip back there again real quick to chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, listen to what the instructions are for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Listen to what it goes on and says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this mystery is profound. It's a deep mystery. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Some of you might be sitting there saying, well, respect is earned. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say respect him once he deserves it. The Bible says respect him even if he doesn't deserve it. We could go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that talks about some unbelieving husbands who are married to believing wives and how because of their, their beauty in acting like Sarah and submitting that their husband may come to faith. Wives are to be modeling the proper attitude of the church to Jesus Christ and husbands are to be modeling who? Jesus. Listen closely then. I'm going to remind you of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you catch that? All authority has been given to Jesus Christ, yet he is meek and lowly and gentle, and he leads, even though he has the authority and the power, from a position of meekness, gentleness. Actually, he's somebody you want to follow. If you really come to know who he is. The third servant in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 said, I saw you as a harsh man, gathering your head and scattered seed and harvesting where you haven't sown. Well, he didn't know the heart of the Lord. The more you come to know him, the more you find out he's gentle, patient, merciful. And the more you come to know who he really is, the more you fall in love with him. Husbands, you, are been, you have been given a role of leadership. But your role needs to be done with an understanding that you are supposed to be letting your wife and the rest of the world see Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to divulge what's going on behind closed doors in your houses, but let me ask you guys. Or do you want me to ask your wives? 
Are you modeling Jesus or the caveman? I can tell you right now, if you've been the caveman, there's nothing wrong with going home tonight and getting before your wife and saying, I'm sorry. I want to lead like Jesus. I don't know how, but he says he will give me the ability to do whatever he asks of me. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I'm going to ask you to put me before the Father on a regular basis because I want to yield my life to him and I want him to be in control. And I can promise you, men, I can promise you with that attitude, your wives will be leaping inside. They'll be leaping inside. Those of you wives who have been a little bit more like the uh, desirous in the wrong way, woman, you may need to say to your husbands, would you forgive me? I thought that if I told you a hundred times, it would finally sink in. <laughs> I realize now that's not my role. That's the father's role to make the change in your heart and your attitude, not mine. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Because this role that I've been given by God is not, hard, not easy for me either, either. Would you pray for me as I seek now to say, the Lord will take care of us, and I want to follow your leadership. And even if you don't follow God, unless you tell me to do something completely opposite of what his word says, we're going to go there. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 3. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Look at the rest of that verse. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now we got to stop. Have I not just been teaching about things that seem very hard for women? Yes or no? Yes. Have I not been teaching about things that are hard for men? Yes. Then how come his word says that his commands aren't burdensome? Here's why. If we learn how to live them out with his strength, they're not burdensome. Go ahead. The end of verse 4. Go ahead. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, For yes. Him to make it if you try to, wives, do this on your own, in your own strength, I promise you won't make it through bedtime. Because he's probably going to leave his underwear on the floor on the way to the bathroom tonight. <laughs> For the thousandth time. <laughs> Guys, when you get frustrated, your first reaction is to get angry. And you might lose your cool. You try to do this on your own, you will find his commands to be burdensome. But he never intended you to live this out in your own strength and your own power. But everything he asks of us, he then wants to give us. And he will. He will. If you humble yourself, submit yourself to what he has and begin and not only ask him, but believe that he will. You watch the change. Folks, I, I don't want to act like we got it all together because we don't. But I'm going to tell you, I know on Becky's side, I've watched over the years of these 25 years, her struggle against her flesh, yet at the same time with a greater desire to yield herself to the Father. And there's a lot about me. I know it's hard to believe. There's a lot about me that needs to change. <laughs> It's not, it's not that hard to believe. When is Jim Hicks' name ever coming off the board is what I want to know. But over the years, I've watched my wife stop talking to me about these things and make them matters of prayer. And folks, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a process, but there'll be times that I'll feel convicted of the Lord that a change needs to happen in my life. And I'll go to her and I'll say, would you pray for me? Because here's something I think God's wanting me to make a change in, in our life. And she'll pull out her prayer journal. And she'll show me how a year ago she began praying for that issue. Father, that's how it's supposed to be. Because it's been done by God and not by her. Like I told you, let me tell you about us guys. We know you're right. 
but we don't want to positively reinforce the nagging. <laughs> and so now that you say it, we don't want to do it even more. You want real change, ladies? Lasting change? Submit yourself to the Heavenly Father and to your husbands, and you watch what God does in their lives. Children, obey your parents in everything. Did you catch that? See what it says there? Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, we're going to go somewhere with this. I know most of us are a little too old to be children anymore, but there's an importance that we need here because I want those of you who are parents and grandparents to hear what's going on here. And there are some younger folks that are here. I want you to listen to what's going on here because there's a depth here. Remember, um, <laughs> who designed it that we would come into this world as babies and children and under the authority of our parents? He has a reason. Could he have brought us into the world another way? Sure. He's chosen this way for lots of reasons. When our kids were little and they used to disagree with some decisions we made, which I know it's shocking, but kids sometimes disagree with decisions their parents make. And they would resist. When they were younger, we used to, and even as they're older, sometimes have to sit them down and say, who's the parent? Who's the kid? Well, you're the parent. I'm the kid. Who made it that way? God did. And what should be your response in this situation? To listen. Obey your parents, because God's designed it that way. This pleases the Lord. But I want to go deeper. Go to Luke chapter 2. By the way, you children aren't always going to be children. One day you're going to be parents. And by the way, has anybody ever heard a parent say to their kid, I hope you have a kid just like you. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Save your breath. You know why? They're going to. You know why? Because it's called genetics. You ever heard the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? You're going to have kids like you. We got three. One's like me. We call her Jim Jr. Another one's like Becky. AJ, we're still trying to figure out whether or not he was adopted or not. Actually, he's a wonderful mix, but you're going to have kids like you. You're going to have kids like you because you're passing it on to them genetically. But in Luke chapter 2, look at verses 41 through 52. Now his parents, this is Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they, as they were returning, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. They used to travel in just like big groups, and they just figured he was part of the church bus somewhere. By the way, that did happen to Becky one time when she was on a youth trip. They were on a mission trip when she was in the youth group at First Baptist in the Atlantic, and uh, they stopped at a McDonald's on the way back from Georgia to Florida. And while she was in the bathroom, the bus left. Nobody knew that she wasn't on the bus. And they crossed the state line. And back at that time, Becky had a necklace that was half of a best friend. You know, girls would have one half of best friends, the other one had the other half. And the other half of the necklace was on the bus. And somebody said to her, Where, who's got the other half of your necklace? And she said, oh, Becky does. Show Becky. Becky. <laughs> it does happen. They thought Jesus was in the bus somewhere. <laughs> so supposing, verse 44, him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, did you catch that? After three days, they found him. They didn't have GPS on his cell phone. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Folks, do you realize the struggle Jesus must have had? 
He knew who he was. He knew who he was, where he was from, and what his role was. He understood that he was her creator. Yet he submitted himself to them. Now, let's be honest. Later on, Mary thinks he's out of his mind. He had that tension. Kids, let me fill you in on something that you might not already know. We parents don't know what we're doing. We pretend we do. But raising kids doesn't come with a book. We're learning it as we go. But God has put you in a position for a time for a reason. God's chosen that you be in this role of submission to your parents, which is fitting in the Lord. And all he's saying is, trust my plan. There's lots of reasons you may never understand until you're later, uh, you're older. But I've done this for a reason. And even if you don't think mom and dad are right and you think they're stupid and they're old and they don't understand and they don't even text. <laughs> God has chosen that you are to submit yourself to him first and to your parents. Then he says, fathers. Don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, remember, he's talking to two groups, those who have been given the role of following and those who have been given the role of leading. Remember, this goes all the way back to Satan and God. Are you going to be submissive to the role that God has for you, and are you going to live it out as God would have you live it out? If it's a following role, are you going to be willing to follow the way God wants you to? If it's a leading role, are you going to lead the way that God wants you to? Fathers, you could push their buttons. Fathers, you could just make a matter than a hornet. Because you can. Because you said so. As parents, especially fathers, we must understand that children have been given a role of submission. Listen closely, though. When most of them do not have the maturity or the understanding to grasp God's design in the process. Especially when they're very, very young. How many of your kids ever held their breath because they figured that will win? <laughs> How many of your kids, it didn't matter if you beat them until they were blue, they weren't going to submit? You see, as I preach to you wives and preach to you husbands, I'm hoping that you're mature enough and have the Spirit within you so that you understand when the Spirit speaks, this is truth. Children have been given a role by God to submit to their parents when many of them, at especially earlier ages, have no ability to understand this whole process of God. All they know is, this person keeps telling me when I'm supposed to lay down and I'm not tired. They tell me that it's bedtime and I'm not sleepy. They tell me to turn the light out, but I got a flashlight. Or like with Elise, you're not allowed to eat in your bed, but I got a bowl of popcorn under the covers that you know nothing about. <laughs> Parents, listen to me. Becky and I learned this a long time ago, and thank God for it. We had the privilege of being in pastoral ministry before we even had kids. So we learned a lot before ours even came around. Win the battle early as to who the authority is when they're very, very little, because it's harder to win it as they get older. You have to win it early. And then you can ease up as they learn to listen to the Spirit of God within them. Too many parents have made the mistake of being strict at the beginning, which is necessary, but they keep that strictness the whole way through, and those kids rebel because it's not about the rules. It's about training them into maturity and adulthood. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't make them angry for no reason. Oh, they're going to get frustrated with you. They're not going to understand. Don't let it be because you're having fun. And don't be harsh with them. They really don't understand this authority thing. In their minds, at their age, they, it doesn't make any sense to them. You try reasoning with a teenager why one child has a later curfew and the other one has an earlier curfew, and there's good reasons why that be sometimes. But there are some that just don't understand it. And as you take your role of leadership, fathers, 
don't lose sight of the fact that you're dealing with someone who may not understand this, and they might not even have the Spirit of God within them yet to be able to really grasp this. Keep this in mind as you... Well, let me ask you this question. As God leads us, does He not understand who He's dealing with? Or does He expect us all to be the same? We're all different, aren't we? And the methods God may use with a Jim Hicks, whose name's on the board all the time, may be different from a really well-behaved Fred Van Bever. I tried to say it with a straight face, Fred. I really did. I tried. But, uh, but listen, those of you that have more than one kid, you've got two or three, you know they're all different, and you have to understand their makeup. You have to understand how they're wired. You have to understand what works with them and what doesn't work with them because you're trying to connect. You're trying to get to them. Listen, your Heavenly Father knows that too. He knows who He's dealing with. And he's patient, he's loving, he's kind, he's gentle. Oh, he's going to win. He is the father. But you, those of us who have been given the responsibility to be earthly fathers, you've been given a leadership role, especially parents and especially the dad. Keep in mind, this is a role that's been given to you by God. And you need to do it with a daily understanding of, Lord, but by your grace, I can't do this right. I've made a lot of mistakes, but one of the big turning points in my relationship with my kids was when it was no longer about punishment, but more about teaching. When the punishment went away and the teaching began, that's when I started to become a father they wanted to follow. And you know what else? I'll just give you this one's free. Be lots of fun. This is serious. Be lots of fun, because if you're known as the fun guy, when you're serious, they notice the difference. And they want the fun guy back. But if you're always the hard guy, they don't believe the fun guy. It's a trick. My kids will tell you, Dad likes to have fun. Dad likes to laugh. But when Dad's face goes serious, they know he means it. But thank the Lord, I've been blessed with kids that have a relationship with the Lord early, and that hasn't been happening very much. Teach. Do not rule. Bond servants, and we'll wrap up with this. Slaves, submit to your masters because of God's plan to glorify himself through your proper attitude in a harsh role. This was written back in the day when slavery was still very, very common. We a lot of times, though, read slavery and we think of roots and all that happened during... No, the slavery back at that time was nothing like the slavery in America. The slavery back at that time, the slaves were glad to be slaves. They were actually treated very, very well. And when many of them were set free, they would gladly stick their ear to the door where the master could just drive a stake through it and signify that they're submitting themselves as their slave for the rest of their life because you've been so good to me, I'll work for you the rest of my life. There were some slaves that desired to no longer be slaves. And back in that section where Paul says, live in whatever role God's given you, he says, if you're a slave and you want to be set free, that's okay. But if not, it's okay to stay a slave. God says to slaves, submit your, to your masters because of God's plan to glorify himself through your proper attitude in a harsh role. Do it for God's approval, not man's. And God chooses where and when we'll be born, as we've already talked to, and to whom. Do you all realize that if you grew up in a really, really poor family, it wasn't by accident. If you grew up in a rich family, it wasn't by accident, nor luck. God uses the struggle and the prosperity all as teaching tools. Both are tests. Both are tests to whether or not you're going to submit to him. People always say, well, give me the rich test. <laughs> you may not want it. I know some people that have it, and it's harder than you'd ever imagine. Especially when everybody in the world knows you have money. You wouldn't want the phone to ring. By the way, the passage goes on and says here, listen to what it says here in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We could talk about your relationship as an employee with your employer, and yes, that does apply a little bit here, but the whole gist is simply this. 
There is a rich reward coming for those who have lives of struggle in this life. There is a rich reward for those who have lives of struggle in this life. Ed, I know you've been going through some struggles with your wife and what's going on with her stroke and having to deal with all the things. Listen, God knows. And the Bible says, and Paul said it himself because he had a glimpse of heaven. He's not allowed to tell us what he saw, but he got a glimpse. And he said, I consider that our present suffering isn't even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. And for those of you that have been chosen by God for his purposes to suffer more than others. Didn't God say that about Paul? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. For those of you who sit here and say, well, how come... We tried to have kids for 30 years and weren't able to, but that 13-year-old got pregnant in the backseat of the car. How come I've worked my whole life penny to penny, paycheck to paycheck, but these other people just seem to have money fall into their lap? How come my marriage fell apart and I didn't want it to, and then all these other people have the 50-year anniversaries and the 25s and they go to Hawaii? When you spend your life here comparing your life to everybody else's, you will open yourself up to the attitude of Satan that says, I want something different. That's not a road you want to go down. But the Bible says that if you are willing whether a wife or a husband or a child or a father or a parent or a slave or a master, to say this is the role that God's chosen for me and I will submit myself to his role because everything he does is right and he controls when I'd be born and to who and where and all that. And I want to worship you with the fact that you let me be a part of this awesome salvation and you say one day you will right all the wrongs and you'll reward all the faithfulness. I want to be like John the Baptist. That simply says, I want to live the role that God has for me. And when it's done, I don't want to seek anything more than what the role God has for me. I'm going to say something to you older ladies. You've heard the preachers over the years saying, what are you doing for God? And you feel guilty. Some of you have been chosen by God to be grandma. Cuckoo. <laughs> Listen. We look at the Samuels and we forget the Hannahs. We look at the Moseses and we forget the Jagabeds. Don't let the attitude of this world that says, what's your career? What have you made out of yourself? What are you doing? Make you feel like you are lesser if you stay home and you cook and you clean and you wipe bottoms and you take care of a child and you raise them up in the understanding of who God is. You have been given a tremendous role. One day, if you're faithful to do it the way God's chosen you to, he will reward you richly. And you've already been rewarded many times with a hug and a kiss from a sticky nose or a sweaty kid that used to fit under here and now is up here. The same God who's keeping track of future reward is also keeping track of future judgment for those who treat those under them improperly. What does the Bible say? Don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is whose? Mine, says the Lord. Oh, keep that in mind. Those of you who are in leadership roles, those of you who are masters, who are employer, your owner of the company, you got people under you. <laughs> keep in mind, that role was given you by God. He could take it away in a second. But one day you will be judged according to how you treated those underneath you. Whatever position or role that God has given us, my question to you is this. How submissive to God are you in the role that God's given you? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, as you've spoken to us tonight, we know that what you're showing us is truth. But boy, our flesh doesn't like it. That's why you tell, tell us every day, because of your mercies, because you let us be a part of this amazing plan that you have for eternity, that we're to offer our bodies, our flesh on the altar every single day. And not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which says you have rights. Take what you want. We're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing daily of our minds. And you'll, we'll know what your will is. And that passage goes right into what we looked at tonight, where it says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
Father, may I not ever move into a role where I think that I'm better than anyone, that I'm God's gift to ministry, that I can do things better than anyone. Lord, may in the role you've given me in leadership, I have people that come in contact with me feel like they've been hanging out with you, not somebody impressive in the flesh. Father, for those of us in here who have been given roles as children even for a time of submission, may those who are over us notice the difference between us and those in the world who don't want to submit. Lord, thank you for the fact that all the, the young people in this room that are here tonight, I know them. I've, they've been in my house. I've been in their houses. I, I've seen it. Lord, thank you for the godly young men and women that are here tonight. Thank you for their fellowship. Oh, the world's pulling on them left and right. Lord, keep them pure. And Lord, I know that all of us in this room, none of us have done everything you've said tonight perfectly. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. But you've given us another day tomorrow because your mercies are new every day to seek to let you live through us in the role you've given us. For your glory, paint a picture to the world in these days that are left that lets somebody see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.